This is Brew Crime, a craft beer and true crime podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Beck. And I'm Nina. And we're your hosts. We pair a true crime story with a craft beer. That Nina will probably hate. Yeah, probably. Whatever. You can find our show on all your favorite podcast apps, and if you can't find it, contact us, and we'll try and change that. We can be found at brewcrime.com, or on Twitter at brewcrime, on Facebook at brewcrime, or if you want to go to our group, it's group slash brewcrime on Facebook, or on Instagram at Pacific Beer Chat. Join us as we discuss the horrible crimes that surround us and try not to giggle. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to... We're watching here. We're watching here. This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is the Sully to my Mike Wazowski, Perry Cyber. <laughs> Hi, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing great. You probably thought I was going to go with the Buzz and Woody, but I... I did. You threw me for a loop. I wanted to go with something not quite obscure. I thought at first about the little baby and the... Uh, Dinosaur from The Good Dinosaur and realize I have no idea what they were named. I am so much happier to be John Goodman than Tim Allen. I can't even begin to explain how happy I am to be be? John Goodman instead of Tim (laughs) Allen. Well, today we are talking Pixar on We're Watching Here. Uh, But before we get into that, Perry, what have you been watching? Okay, Chris is going to give the listeners a little inside baseball. All right. We are recording this on uh, June the 11th. Yes. So this is not a what I've been watching. It's what I will have been watching at the time people finally hear this. Tomorrow on Netflix drops the Martin Scorsese documentary Rolling Thunder about the Rolling Thunder review period of Bob Dylan's career, uh, which I have been eager for since, oh, I don't know, whenever they announced this, nine months ago. I've been dying for this. No Direction Home, the last documentary that Scorsese made about Dylan is the best documentary ever made about Dylan. This is my favorite live period of Dylan. I think it's, it's, if you can go back to it over and over, it's ceaselessly fascinating to me. And of course, Scorsese for me, there is no better. So I am so super geeked for this i will be on my couch tomorrow morning uh well okay afternoon i gotta be a functional human adult in the world first and then i will be watching this and watching it pretty much non-stop for about 48 hours that's my prediction a true fan would uh, wake up at three in the morning when that drops on netflix and uh, watch it all the way through they would they would but it'll still be there well good i didn't even know that was coming i had you know, I read a few articles about it and then totally blanked on it because Netflix debuts something new every hour. Yes. And, uh, but every once in a while, there's something worth watching. So, uh, so and a I new film, that. a new film by Martin Scorsese is that thing. And about Bob Dylan. So I'm a Bob Dylan fan. So yeah, check it out. I will have to look at that uh, right after I rewatch. Um, no direction you know, I think home. You should leave and uh, <laughs> and uh, the Bash Brothers experience uh, by Lonely Island. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you're gonna like that and enjoy that because my what we're watching lately is not as great. Uh, I went and took my son to see Aladdin on Friday. Oof. Um. Yeah. Oof is right. Uh. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about this beforehand. You were a little older than me when Aladdin came out, so it wasn't one of the ones that was in your wheelhouse on repeat in your household. Uh, no, I, I'm at that age where so uh, Beauty and the Beast was ninety, right? Or 90 or ninety one? Yeah, ninety one, and. Uh, and so that was the year I graduated high school. So these were all right. Like I didn't, I wasn't a little kid. 
mm-hmm. when the 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 rebirth of the Disney animated musical hit, and it was long before I had kids. So, uh, and Beauty and the Beast to me is an absolute masterpiece. Was at the time, still is. I I, I think that movie's perfect. And Aladdin's always suffered for me just being the next one. Okay, like it, it just pales by comparison. Williams is a blast. There's no song from Aladdin I remember. Well, here's the thing. So I was 12 or 13 when it came out. Okay. And I watched that movie religiously as a kid. Um, to the point where I, you know, I still, someone sings Prince Ali and I'm like, oh, that's in my head. I know that. <laughs> here's the problem. When you go see this new Aladdin, if you go see this new Aladdin, it's the same exact story, the same exact songs, the same exact costumes, the same exact <laughs> shots, the same exact dialogue. There is about a one hour stretch of the movie where it kind of becomes Hitch in the Middle East. <laughs> and that's... Which does not sound uninteresting. Which is the best part of the movie because I like Will Smith. He's a charismatic guy. And if you want to have a charismatic actor to replace Robin Williams and do something totally different, get Will Smith to do that. I'm all for that. Naomi Scott is really good, and Mina Musad is really good when they are allowed to just be, you know, two young people falling in love. But then they pull back and they have Will Smith do kind of antic, cartoony, over-the-top stuff like Robin Williams, down to his dialogue. <laughs> and you don't get Will Smith to be cartoony. You get him to be cool and, you know, the coolest guy in the room, and it just doesn't work, and they're constantly reminding you of, hey, remember this movie you loved? Remember this movie you loved? Remember this movie you loved? And it just, it you just constantly remind oh, I saw this before, better and prettier, <laughs> with people who had better singing voices, and shorter, because this is two hours and ten minutes long. It, the original was like 80 minutes. Yes. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's another standard Disney remake. Um, and... My kid loved it, I guess, if maybe you don't have any familiarity with the original. Sure, maybe, but it's rough. It, it's really rough. And it, the fact that the humans are the only thing I enjoyed in it when they got to be human makes me really dread the Lion King. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I also have no real grand affection for the Lion King. I know that's heresy in, okay. in many circles. Jam. That was my jam. Um, I, I found it to be just so. I, I just I always found Lion King really obvious. I'm like, I can't believe you're all going nuts over this. That was always my reaction at the time. Yeah, but um, I don't know. Something about making them all animals seems to be preferable. Like, I think I might be able to handle this one better than uh, the utter uh, uh, travesty to me that was the live action Beauty and the Beast. And I'm sure this is. I'm sure Aladdin's worse. I will never bother. Aladdin is definitely worse. <laughs> I, I don't understand. You have gorgeous fast, energetic animation at your disposal that you could easily put out in the theater again and maybe people will go see it. Yeah. And live action is just, oh, it's the same thing, but it's uglier. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It's uglier and darker, and Guy Ritchie is not a whimsical filmmaker. Um, <laughs> so I don't know why they got him to do that. So that is Aladdin. It's making a ton of money. Um, but What does Guy Ritchie make but movies that aren't really that good that make a ton of money these days? That's absolutely That's what correct. the man does. Um but that's the latest from Disney. But let's talk about maybe some of the best from Disney in the last yes. 25 well, years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, as I said, we are talking Pixar this week. And so to kind of flashback, in late 1995, Perry, I received a gift that would be just altering to my life. <laughs> my parents bought me my first issue of Entertainment Weekly magazine. Oh, uh, Which, wow. as we're recording this, 
just turned into Entertainment Monthly magazine. <laughs> but, but back then you could get it weekly. And on the counter, or on the cover of it, was two cartoon characters who right now they are just as iconic as Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. It was Buzz Lightyear and the Cowboy Woody. And there was this long article in there about this startup company called Pixar that was owned by Disney. And they had been going to painstaking lengths to create the world's first computer-generated full-length movie, which was Toy Story. I went and saw Toy Story opening night at the Star John R. with my mom. I went in because I was fascinated by all the technology. I walked out because that was just such a good story. (laughs) I walked out in love with the characters. I love the heart and the humor and the storytelling magic. So 24 years later, Pixar's a household name. It has numerous Oscars. They've had two films nominated for Best Picture in Toy Story 3 and Up. Only in years after they went to ten nominees. That is true. I would feel the need to point out. Okay, that's fair enough. So now we're even getting to the point where we're getting Toy Story 4. So it seems like it's probably the best time to sit down and talk about Pixar. (laughs) Because we've been critics for, I mean, a, a while. And Pixar's been a mainstay of that the entire time. Yes. So... Seems like a good time to sit down and talk about our favorite Pixar movies, our relationship with the studio and its movies, and where they're at right now, and maybe where we hope they go. So, are you as big a Pixar fan as I am? Because this is a studio where, probably up until recent years, I rushed out opening weekend to see everything, or got to the nearest press screening. It was fun to go back and look at the list of releases after we said we were going to do this, and we each went agreed we were going to pick out our, our three favorites. And, uh... I I went back to look at the list and was stunned at how you can just draw the clean mark of those first ten films yep. are pretty much unimpeachably great. We can quibble about cars. <laughs> What's their tenth film? And I uh, uh, I'd have to look at it again. I look I can't remember what the cutoff was. I think it was uh, it might have was it up or did up come after? Up sounds about right because we can talk about this. There's definitely. Up is about the time the Disney sale goes through. Right. And Which, that's when things shift. Um, and then, and then it gets, it, it's, you know, it's, it, everyone's not a home run anymore. <laughs> there are problems. There are obvious corporate decisions that are made <laughs> that didn't feel like they would have been made before. Um, and the sequels are less gratifying than yes. they were before. Uh, and now, now, sadly, Pixar does not carry the same weight for me as it did certainly even 10 years ago in in 2009. But what what does? <laughs> Nothing. No artist has a run, usually no artist has a run greater than 10 years where they're consistently dependable. Yeah. You know, if we're going to I I'm trying to th- you know, Preston Sturgis, you know, maybe the Coens. You know, <laughs> for an extended period of time pull that off. And this is they even... did. They did for they did for a, for 14 years. Mm-hmm. We'll call it 14 years and 10 films. They were almost inarguably the single greatest, uh, mark of both quality, uh, and just box office smarts. Mm-hmm. They were, it's a stunning body of work, those 10 films. And, and you consider too, that's not even a filmmaker. That is a studio. I mean, yes. We never talk about, oh, this studio has a new movie coming out unless it's, you know, something like Marvel, which is going to bring in a hundred million dollars opening weekend. Yes. But it's always geared more towards, Oh, this is going to bring in a lot of money. This is going to bring in a lot of crowds. But Pixar did both. It was yes. always guaranteed to bring in money. But I, I'm surprised looking back how many of the movies, when I look back at my old top ten list, 
how many of them had a Pixar movie on there? <laughs> um, and there were two years, consecutive years, I had a Pixar movie at number one. Uh, in 2008 and 2009, I had Wally and Up as my number one film mm-hmm. in those years. Uh, the Detroit Film Critics Society chose Up as its movie of the year in 2009. They did. And uh, I definitely <laughs> think, okay. Um, okay, well, let's talk about that. What's your, because Up seems to be the dividing line. Because after Up, it's Toy Story 3, I believe. And it becomes pretty much predominantly sequels after that point. Um, so Up And yes, to be... Up is the 10th film okay, in 2009. Okay. So, I, I mean, I think when we get to our top three, it's safe to say Up is not on either one of our lists and for that. Uh, it is it is not, but I think it's fair. Uh, well, I'll talk about this a little with my mm-hmm. with my number three pick because okay. I went off the I went off the grid a little <laughs> with my number three because as I, I what I did was I I actually thought about what are the first three that came to mind. Okay, and these were the first three that came to mind. Now. I mean, I was not thinking, you know, I wasn't looking back. I wasn't thinking, what do I, it was what hits me right now. If I, if you ask me to name the three best Pixar films, this is what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Then, as I took a breath, I thought of six other things that could easily be in that third spot. I am, I yeah. am picking three because we can only talk, we got time yeah, to exactly. talk about three. Exactly. And then we'll talk about all the ones we left. Up is fantastic. List. Up is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Up is, deserves every applaud it, it can get. I just don't think it was the best film. <laughs> Here's my thing about Up. Here's why, because Up was really, like, it was one of those ones that traditionally I've named it my third. And the reason I hesitated is, A, in the last few years, whenever it's played, I can't get through the first ten minutes, and I have to leave the room because my kids will see me cry. Um, <laughs> we're so, we're going to get to that sequence for me in a Pixar film later. But I always wonder how much weight I put on the first ten minutes of Up because it becomes kind of a different movie, especially in the back half. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to go back and watch it again. I didn't have the time. But uh, because I, I part of me is wondering, uh, when I watch the flying dogs again and stuff, is that going to feel a little different? But <laughs> I, I hope not. But Up was definitely in contention. I, but I think it is, you know, there was the sale of, of Pixar to Disney right after that, right around that. And I think you see there was a stretch where they were shooting for the moon with everything. Oh, yeah. Actually. And I'm sure we'll get there because I know a lot of those movies are on my list. And then after that, yeah, it became prequels and sequels and all that. So more so, yes. I don't want to say exclusively. There are a couple of outstanding films that there are, and I, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we will get there. Um, But maybe the best way to do it is jump in our list. So, uh, what is your number three favorite Pixar movie? My number three, and this is where I'm being purposefully provocative for all you people out there. uh, I went with, because I think what gets left out a lot when we like to talk about Pixar are the shorts. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, when I think of the, the Pixar film, I think about that makes me laugh, that I think has a remarkable, uh, a, mar- a remarkable stretch back to the glorious history of the animated short, uh, but was very, very of its moment when it gets made. And I think uh, puts to shame a sequel that comes later <laughs> after it in the Pixar universe. I love Jack Jack Attack. Yeah, that's pretty. Cool. I think Jack Jack Attack is just about perfect. I think it's as close as Pixar ever got to Chuck Jones, with the exception of oh, Presto, Presto, Presto. I would go with outstanding. And yeah. we should probably just do it. We should do a mini episode just for our favorite <laughs> Pixar shorts. Oh, I think that's, that's a good great. Patreon that's a good episode. Bonus, yeah. Um, but Jack Jack Attack is so remarkably well constructed, and it's it is it is it is well written both. 
visually. I know that sounds weird, but the gags are well written. They are mm-hmm. well structured. The the sight gags are. And on top of that, it's really verbally funny. Uh, you've got a couple of outstanding lead voices that just sit there. The girl, uh, 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 oh, Kari, Kari right? McKeever. Uh, that, that, whatever that voice is, is fantastic. <laughs> you've got, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Lucky, Lucky McKee? Lucky, uh, Bud Lucky. Okay, I was gonna uh, say Lucky McKee is a horror. Director. Bud Lucky, yes, yes. who was the vo- who, uh, if you know your animated history from watching all the Pixar DVDs, was the uh, original animator and singer of the Old Sesame Strong. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, oh, eight, nine, really? ten. Ten tiny turtles on the telephone talking to the grocery man. Uh, he, yes, Bud Lucky was brought on and did the voice of of Jack Jack. No, no, uh, Mr. Decker. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the Man in Black. <laughs> well, that's right. His yes. wife switched in the last movie, I right? Because he, yeah. because Bud had passed away since then. Uh, yeah, Jack Jack, Jack. It's on the Incredibles DVD. If you've got it, if you've never seen it, check it out. I, I'm a fan of so many of the Pixar shorts, especially the ones associated with the movies. They're so much better than you might expect. I love the tale of the rat from Ratatouille. <laughs> that's really funny. The history of the rat is a really good one too. Uh, but Jack Jack Attack gets everything right that Pixar does well, and it makes it it. it it lets you know how unseriously Pixar takes themselves, which is remarkable for a studio that was on this run at yeah. that point. They were they're fantastic. And did Brad Bird direct that? Yes, one? did he? I'm okay. pretty sure. You know, I you know, I said yes. You talk while I research. <laughs> well, because one thing about Brad Bird, and I'll, I'm sure I'm going to talk about Brad Bird a lot. He knows how to put together a visual gag, just from his days on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. He has this visual language. Down pat, and uh, that's what I love about the Incredibles, and to a certain extent, some parts of Incredibles too is he just knows how to tell a story visually. Yes, Brad Bird did. Brad Bird did. Okay, that does not surprise me. I I love Brad Bird. Um, I love Brad Bird so much that my third movie is Ratatouille. <laughs> um, the thing about Ratatouille that I remember before it came out was everyone was convinced this was going to be Pixar's first flop. Because, oh my gosh, how could you make a movie about a rat in a kitchen? <laughs> Forgetting that this movie was being put out by the company that created Mickey Mouse. So I never really bought that. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what, that's what kids' movies do. They give weird animals life. But when I saw Ratatouille, what blew me away was this was not a kid's movie. Uh, it is a movie that is not just about a silly rat in a kitchen. It is about art and creativity and passion and... There's a reason why so many film critics use this movie as their, you know, their launching point whenever they want to talk about the importance of criticism. It's all wrapped up in this silly movie about a chef and his rat in Paris that is funny and smart. And I just, I love this movie. Um, I think the thing it proves for me more than anything, though, is that when Pixar picks the right lead for their movies, their right voice role, they get so much mileage out of that. Yes. Because any other studio would pick Pat Oswalt to do that movie because he's a comedian. The reason Pat Oswalt works so well in Ratatouille is because he, if you know anything about him, he is obsessed with things. He is obsessed <laughs> with food. He is obsessed with film. And I think that shines through in every scene that Remy has. There are so many wonderful little visual moments in that. Um, when he's describing how different foods go together, Brad Bird does this kind of abstract thing to kind of get that across. Uh-huh. It's, it's beautiful. Um, I think the shots of Paris 
are gorgeous. Maybe my favorite thing in the entire Pixar canon is just the location of this movie in Paris. <laughs> these shots of the kitchen. These shots of the food that I want to eat, uh, <laughs> which looks great, but it never hits this Uncanny Valley type thing. No. Uh, it's great. And then you have Peter O'Toole as Anton Ego, <laughs> who is barely in the movie, but is so fantastic. And just, yes, that that whole monologue he has at the end about criticism, there's a reason why when I listen to A.O. Scott talk about criticism, he opened with talking about that. <laughs> because that is really, I mean, there were so many people who watched that movie who write about film who walked away going, oh, that's my mission statement. Just rip that from the script and that's going up on my <laughs> blog. Um, and this is all in a kid's movie. It, it, you know, what's ostensibly a kid's movie. And it's, what I love most about Pixar is they do take these kind of kiddie premises and then they find that thing that is going to hook an adult. And they don't shy away from that. They don't try and just toss the adults some jokes. They find that center that is going to have them emotionally and intellectually kind of glued to it. And that's why I love Ratatouille so much. Um, it's really the one my kids don't watch a lot. I will stop whenever it's on Disney Channel or something and, and rewatch <laughs> it over and over. I, I love Ratatouille. It could have easily been my third. Mm-hmm. Easily. It is a great... And it, it's the one probably that would have been third. Okay. I'll try, I, I, I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, as much as I love Inside Out, as much as I love, uh, uh, The Incredibles, uh, as much as I love, uh, uh, yeah, that might be it. <laughs> of the ones that aren't on my list, of the ones that aren't on my list. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, oh, Wally, Wally. Okay. So I absolutely would have been right there. Mm-hmm. For all of, but Ray Tattoo is the only one that gets, oh, here's what I love about early Pixar, especially early Pixar. And uh, if you know your history of Toy Story, this became problematic. They were unafraid to make their lead character utterly smug. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that the is, problem with Toy Story? Was right. that Tom Hanks was too unlikable? Was so unlikable, yes, they had to re-record like, the dialogue. And how how far <laughs> off track do you have to go to make Tom Hanks the unlikable oh, exactly. one? When he's up against Tim Allen. Exactly. <laughs> Which, and they don't necessarily redeem that. They mm-hmm. don't change it. They value... Uh, you know, and it's, it's the great cultural argument that people had over the Incredibles is, you know, is the Incredibles this incredibly right wing message talking mm-hmm. about, you know, is it all about how we're supposed to celebrate the exceptional at all times, no matter what? Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't embrace or deny that. It just kind of is about that. And we yeah. can talk about it and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a great story and it looks great. Like you said, it's an amazing looking movie. And I, I, you would think it would be the last thing Brad Bird would want to do after The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. And he came, if I remember correctly, he came in later in Ratatouille. He did. Like yeah, Ratatouille he, had he, uh, begun with someone else at the helm. And I think he reshaped most of it. I would agree. Into, I would Which doesn't always so. work out for Pixar. No, but, uh, not at all. But, or for Disney in general. But yes, here they got it exactly right. They got it. Absolutely. I, I love Red Tatooie anytime. What's your number two? My number two is, uh, I think it's the movie that, uh, that solidified Pixar for me for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, and it's, I can't believe it's, <laughs> I can't believe it's gonna be a sequel, but it is. And it's Toy Story 2. Yeah. Okay. I, good choice. Uh, for me, Toy Story, uh, as much as everybody loves it and remembers it, uh, Toy Story for me, uh, in the, in the initial run, uh, <laughs> no one remembers this. It opened Thanksgiving weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, casino. Scorsese's Casino also opened the same really? weekend. Okay. Casino was the much bigger deal for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was like, I saw them both probably back to that days, and I just wanted to see Casino over and over and over. Okay. Toy Story was great. 
entertained, really liked it, so much better than I expected, being resistant to the charms of the Disney studio much of the time. Uh, but Toy Story 2 to me is a film that uh, not only advances on Toy Story, it kind of kills Toy Story. <laughs> like, I don't need to go back to see Toy Story because Toy Story, because it's the first, because they're figuring it out, so falls into the standard setup of them being so mean to each other for 90 minutes before they get around to it, mm-hmm. to liking each other. Sure. I'm like, oh God, this is like, this is torturous to sit through. If you know where it goes, I, I have a hard time watching Toy Story now. Just structural. I'm like, I don't care that they don't get along. This doesn't work for me because they told a story where they're friends from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they, they, they so, they so thematically advanced what Toy Story was about to fill you full of existential dread in the opening 20 minutes of Toy Story 2 to make you wonder about what is life? What is a toy that is on display and not played, not just not played with, but on display and not played with? Wow, we could get into so deep. What what is what is an artist then saying about making their own art with that? What does that mean? <laughs> that is so great, uh, and that it's unafraid of running straight into that with mm-hmm. that that dream sequence that Woody has near the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's you know it is it is as close as Pixar got to Bergman, <laughs> which is <laughs> which I say both jokingly and seriously. That's uh, and then. You throw in the single greatest musical sequence in any Pixar movie. You You're have, talking about when the penguin sings, you've got a friend of me, right? Of course, okay, you yeah. bring out the great... Who is that? It's not Engelbert Humperdinck. I'm I just totally know it was wheezy, but anyway. <laughs> Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Jesse's song. Jesse's song. Written, of course, by Randy Newman. He did not win the Oscar for that song. Hard to believe. Uh, yes. Sung by Sarah McLaughlin. Uh, we've talked about this in a previous mm-hmm. podcast. It's, it's a moment that for me, uh, you don't want to cry in front of your kids with the first 10 minutes of up. Yeah. That, that sequence will make me cry for reasons we've talked about previously. Go back and check out the back catalog, people. Uh, this is, uh, I, I just can't believe they, they, it, it is, it is the rare sequel that does not uh, attempt to just trade in on the goodwill you had toward the first one. It was when I realized Pixar was really up to something. They were really trying. They were not just sitting back. And I liked Bugs Life a lot better than a lot of people do. And I, I still Bugs do. Yeah. I think Bugs Life is really sharp. But this was, oh, you're not just going to sell out. You're not just going to do this. You actually care. They don't and you're go, actually thinking. They don't just go bigger in it. They go a lot deeper in that one. Very deep. And, very deep. To the point that I was surprised how much I liked Toy Story 3. I thought, you can't do this again. And they managed to do it again. Not that it's that much better than Toy Story 2, but they managed to make Toy Story 2 again <laughs> in I mean, a way that I enjoy. And just as existential, there's that whole sequence where they're all ready to die. Yeah, but that to me is more obvious and it less not, deep it doesn't work than Toy Story 2. <laughs> yeah, we rewatched a few years ago. We bought the entire trilogy for my son. Now we'll have to get the entire quadrilogy or whatever. Of course. But um, we watched the three movies pretty much back to back. And I love all three of those. But there is no question. I mean, Toy Story 2 is... That is something special. Yes. And I remember going to see that. I, I took a friend with me to see that. You know, we were going to go to the movies one night. It was, you know, what? Around Christmas time. Same time as Toy Story opened up in 99. And 
he was like, oh, what do you want to go see? And he, I think he was thinking I'd suggest some action movie or horror movie. I'm like, let's go see Toy Story 2. I've heard it's really good. And it was the only thing playing at a good time. So we went and saw it. And I was struck stupid by it. I just remember, <laughs> yeah. I have to see this again and I have to see it now because it made me so happy and sad and, and everything. And now we're at this point where my son has toys he grew up loving all his life. He has this Fozzie Bear toy that he's had <laughs> since he was a baby. He took Fozzie Bear everywhere. And now he doesn't take Fozzie Bear anywhere. Yeah. And I came into the room and Fozzie Bear was just lying under the Staring bed. At you. One little paw sticking out from under the bed. And it was like, I'm like, no, did you see Toy Story 2, Mickey? Don't you know what happened? Uh, the Toy Story series has been a very interesting series. And yeah. they do pretty much maintain a quality level. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see. I have not seen Toy Story 4 yet. I will be seeing it next week. But, uh, you know, I, there's a part of me that's not really looking forward to it. Because, like you said, I think Toy Story 3 was the right closing point. Like, it closes on a note where you're like, that's it. That's the end of the story. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, it seems such a blatant hash grab to do it. Yep. And yet, I have said that about every Toy Story movie that has come out since Toy Story. <laughs> so, there's that part of me going, yeah, but... So, we'll see. But Toy Story 2, I, I do love that one. It killed me to leave it off my list. <laughs> I'm um, glad I could include it on mine. My number two, uh, I... I really tried to find a way not to talk twice about Brad Bird. <laughs> but I had to talk about Brad Bird again because I absolutely love The Incredibles. Uh, the Incredibles is not the first Pixar movie to deal with adult issues. Uh, like we said, Toy Story 2 is very existential. Finding Nemo is a movie I appreciate so much more as a father. But I think Incredibles was the first one where I noticed, oh, they're doing something that the kids aren't going to get. Uh, in many cases. It's not about them. No, yeah. it's not. It, this is a movie that is, yes, on the surface, it was a superhero movie. It's a fun little adventure. But it's also about a midlife crisis. Yep. It's about a marriage in turmoil. There are very thinly veiled references to infidelity in it. Yeah. Uh, this is Brad Bird just basically saying, yeah, I'm going to make an entertaining, fun movie. But I'm also going to make the movie I want to make. And it's going to deal with very human, very adult issues. And it, it's weird because it works in both ways. It is, it really is a fun, exciting, action-packed superhero movie that I think works still better than 99% of any superhero movie I see in theaters. <laughs> it's also a very insightful look at marriage and parenting and jobs you don't like and this whole idea of Sitting there in your 40s and your glory days have passed. Uh, and, and that's all in, again, what is ostensibly a kid's movie. Uh, I think it is smart. It is funny. Again, the, the voice cast is so good. Uh, I love Craig T. Nelson as Mr. Incredible. I think he, he has the bluster down, but there's also this weariness he can affect really well. Uh -huh. Holly Hunter is just always great. I, I love Holly yeah, Hunter. She's about the best. Yes. Um, the very best actresses we have. And this was before. I started getting really sick of Samuel L. Jackson. So I was always <laughs> always glad to see him. I'm like, oh, Samuel L. Jackson is a superhero movie. That is new. And, uh, <laughs> and now it is not. But it, it's funny. I think visually, though, this is just... I still watch it just for the adrenaline rush I get. Uh, there are action sequences. <laughs> I have not seen a live-action action sequence work as well as that final set piece in this does. When they are all teaming up to fight in the city at the end. And there is a moment, and it's what Pixar does so well, 
Any studio would be so happy to give you a big action sequence. Pixar takes the moment, Brad Bird, uh, take the moment, there's Jack-Jack is running, and he's running on the water, you know, Frozone's freezing everything, and Jack-Jack's, nope, Dash is running on the water, and he suddenly clicks, like, what he's doing, like, the, he's running on the water, he's running so fast, he's running, and he lets out this little giggle. Yep. And that is maybe my one of my favorite Pixar moments. Uh, I love that. No other movie would pause for that. It, and they plan that out. They put that in because they knew, oh, that's the moment that's going to sell you. And I just, I love this movie. Um, you know, I, I've talked before. I love the Marvel movies. I have a lot of fun with those. But I do still find it very funny that the two best superhero movies I've seen in the last 20 years are animated movies. Uh, Incredibles and Into the Spider-Verse. And I think that's why I think... That is the closest you're going to get to replicating what's in a comic book and getting that pure energy down. I think it's worth noting that Brad Bird is the one, you know, the, the four-headed monster that is the Pixar brain trust. He's the only one that didn't come up sort of through there. Mm-hmm. He was established oh, yeah? really well with the Iron Giant before ever, uh, you know, hitching on to these guys. Well, and and I think of- that sensibility shows yeah. In everything he's done for the studio in really great ways. And it's a little great story of revenge, too, because he was one of those animators coming up with Disney. Yeah. Who they're doing the Fox and the Hound. And he he just, I think, Legendary had like one of those Jerry Maguire moments where he's like, we can do better than this. We should do better than this. And I think he got fired from that. I could be wrong there, but he did not work there much longer before going on to uh, The Simpsons for a bit and some other stuff. And now he's in demand. And I love a lot of his live action stuff. I do too. Uh, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol is so much fun. Yes. And so much of what works in The Incredibles translates to that, yes. which surprised me. But man, I, well, I want to say I want him to keep going back to Pixar, but I did see Incredibles 2, which I like, but is not, is not even worthy of being in the same sentence as the first one. <laughs> uh, I will, I will say this one last, one last superlative for it. If you ask me, if you sodium pentathol me, and asked me to name the five best director cameos in any of their own movies ever. <laughs> Brad Bird as Edna Mode is oh, yeah. easily oh, in the top five. This is a, to give yourself a character that good is really brave and to pull off that well is really awesome. Oh, yeah. I, yes. I love Edna. Edna Mode and <laughs> <Yeah>. guest. <laughs> what is your number one, Perry? So this is the film for me that transcends, uh, that transcends Pixar itself. This is the one time, this is the only film I will stand up alongside Beauty and the Beast in the last 40 years, the animated Beauty and the Beast, in the last, uh, whatever, however many decades of Disney you want to give me, uh, as a film that truly achieves being uh, 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 the level of a, a new fairy tale and a story that deserves to be told through the ages forever and ever and can be returned to time and time again, and that's Finding Nemo. Okay. I think Nemo is an exultant work of art. <laughs> I think it's almost, uh, I, I think it's a perfect movie. <laughs> uh, not to say it's the best movie ever made or that it's the, even the best movie of that year, but for what it is attempting to do, there isn't a single wasted shot in it. There isn't a single wasted moment. Again, as we talked about before, you cast Albert Brooks and you don't let him be incredibly funny much of the time. Mm-hmm. He's the straight man. Wow. <laughs> wow. What, what, uh, what belief you have in your own material oh, yeah. to do that? Um, 
this movie made me believe that Andrew Stanton m- might be some sort of prophetic level genius we hadn't seen before in movies. Okay. And Wally did nothing to dissuade me of that. Mm-hmm. That film is masterful in an entirely different way. Uh, Wally might be the visually the best Pixar movie. You could make that case if you wanted to. We, we might. You but... might. Um, then, but then John Carter happened. And so we realize he's very, very human. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to talk about understands John Carter. I want to talk about Finding Nemo. Uh, as you mentioned before, it's, it's a film that, uh, yeah, I was a parent when it came out. And a lot of people say, well, that's why you love it so much. And I'm, you know, because mm-hmm. I didn't really... I, I, I love Nemo's story as much as Dad's. This is what gets undersold in this movie. People forget <laughs> all the really funny stuff that's going on with Nemo oh, while yeah. Dad is searching. That's because that's the emotional heart of the story, and I understand that's what people want to remember. And when people talk about the funny stuff, they tend to go back to uh, they tend to go back to Dory instead of focusing on. The, I could spend two hours in that aquarium oh, in the yeah. dentist's office. All that stuff is so good. Or just and so girl. weird. And so funny. And it's got the best post-credit sequence of any Pixar movie. Yes, it does. I have no problem saying that at all. Uh, it's just masterful. It is, it is, it is both, it is the singular that touches on the universal. I don't know how they did it. It is a film that truly just it's Quicksilver. I don't know how they got it. They they captured absolute perfection, and uh, if if it's true that uh, you know all those Pixar heads sit around and make sure they listen to every other notes, all the notes they have to give on all of each other's projects, that should never work. Every instinct says mm-hmm. that shouldn't work, but boy, that monster worked perfectly for Finding Nemo, and they achieved it. It is it is a film that deserves. The remarkable box office run it had and uh, deserves every accolade I can think of. I, I I don't think there's a more perfect Pixar film. I, I think there is a more perfect Pixar film just because it's on my list. Um, of but course. I am not. I mean, of course, it is one of those weird places where you know the heart wants what it wants, and that's the only reason Finding Nemo isn't in my top three. <laughs> of course, because I adore Finding Nemo. And there might be something in the fact that my son went through a phase where he watched it like 10 times a week and maybe it sifted down in my rankings through uh, <laughs> just sheer repetition. Yeah. But I I would agree that I think it might be one of the most beautiful films. I think it is hands down the funniest Pixar movie. I, I think that movie... I wasn't a parent. I wasn't married when I saw it. I went free will with a friend to go see it opening night. And I laughed harder at that than almost any movie I saw <laughs> that year. And that was a year that included, I think, Anchorman, uh, which I, I love, and I know we're, we're different on. But, we're different uh, on that, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, that is a movie that is so just funny from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres is great as Dory, but you're right, that whole aquarium subplot is great. The seagulls, just that mine, oh. mine, still makes me laugh. Whenever I see a seagull, that's what I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mine, and... Uh, turtles and at our house it's okay we're gonna have a great jump today <laughs> you're very cute but i don't understand what you're saying it's 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 a fabulous movie it and is a film that it is a film that does the hero's journey and doesn't feel beholden to it it's like they figured it out yeah it, it feels natural it does not feel like it's being crammed into this formula and yet it still fits that formula and so it pays off in all the ways, all the Joseph Campbell ways. It pays off. It's so good. 
And it is one. It's Father's Day weekend is coming up as we're recording this. This is true. It is a movie I often watch around Father's Day because <laughs> it did get better once I had a kid, but not because oh their kids lost and you know I feel some emotional tie to that. I mean I do, but for me the part that really gets me is when the uh, the pelican I, whose name I forget Nigel right. Yeah, I believe so, yes. Is telling Nemo about the journey his dad's been on. And Nemo's like, my dad fought a shark. And he's, I heard he took on three. (laughs) And it's just that moment where, oh, that's what your kid wants to believe, is that their dad is this hero who's coming for them. Um, And and I still, I get choked up when I watch that moment, because I'm like, that's just a beautiful moment that they don't play it too thick. It's just a, you know, a tossed off line. And it it works so well. Yeah. yeah, and then we can get to the sequels in a minute. Uh, Finding Dory did not. Oh, let's work as not. Well. Let's okay. not talk about Finding Dory. But I will say there was a, that is a movie that again there was one sledgehammer moment that worked for me in that movie, uh, and it was with Dory's parents when they laid out the shells for her. Oh yeah, that, that got me. That. The rest of the movie, I have not seen that since. I haven't thought about it since I saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll go back though because uh, Andrew Stanton did that too. So he's he's kind of. You know, been hit and miss, but when he hits, you get something like Finding Nemo, or you get my number one pick, which is Wally. Yeah. Um, which Wally, that, that should not be a surprise to anyone who follows me on Letterboxd or anything. <laughs> Wally is one of my top 20 favorite movies of all time. I love Wally. Um, I think this is just, this is that period when Pixar was not sure what was coming next, what was coming after up. You know, are, are we going to be on our own? Is Disney going to own us? So let's just do whatever we're capable of. Uh-huh. And they pushed hard on that. That is a movie that the first hour is a silent movie. Yeah. That asks yes, you ma- to magical. believe that two robots are in love. <laughs> one of whom is powered off half the time. Yes. And it works. It's sweet and it's funny and it's oddly human. Um, they just, they nail the character design so well in that. Uh, it's very Chaplin-esque with Wally. Uh, just yeah. this kind of dirty, dinged up robot. Uh, I love the fact there is a shot where he lets these, uh, shopping carts cascade into each other. Yes. And the camera zooms in, which no one else is thinking about, but if you know how animated films are made, they don't have a camera. <laughs> they thought that, let's zoom it in to keep it, you know, looking real. Um, I, I think that whole first part works. I love that it just gets into some weird, heavy sci-fi stuff in the back <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Or was funny when it came out until 10 years later when you're watching it and going, oh, no. <laughs> you know, this, this is us. This is exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that I thought uh, the Dash laugh in Incredibles might be one of my favorite Pixar moments. The dance sequence where Wally and Eve just propel themselves around outside the spaceship is my absolute favorite Pixar moment. Uh, that is one of my favorite moments in any movie because it is just, just this moment of pure beauty. Yeah. It, it's, it's gorgeous and it's a witty movie. It's a funny movie. I can show it to my kids and they love it. Like this was one of the first movies I showed to my kids because they didn't need to understand any of the language or anything yep. and they love it. But then my wife and I can sit and we love it just as much for completely different reasons, which I've always loved that about Pixar, that they're not that studio that's out there going, we're going to make badass, hard-edged, you know, adult cartoons. Like, you know, adult in quotation marks, like DreamWorks does. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, but they find this ground where it's something, it, it's family. It, that is really what it is. It's all ages can enjoy these movies, and they somehow hit that sweet spot without pandering most of the time. 
Um, in those first ten films. Oh, in those first ten films. Yeah. In there, <laughs> so what happened after? I mean, well, okay. What do you? How do you feel about Cars? Cars is the is the weak link in the first ten for me, and it's interesting to note that is it is the one where they said, yeah, it wasn't together. We we had it was time. We just had to put it out. Yeah. It wasn't ready to go. Uh, and Cars Two for me is the moment where it changes. Cars Two, where Pixar changes. Well, at least where John Lasseter changes. Mm-hmm. Pick, uh, Cars Two for me is the moment where John. You realize John Lasseter uh, would rather be George Lucas than yeah, anyone yeah. else. He would rather produce. He doesn't have his heart really in the work to direct anymore. He is a mogul. And that's, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying if you're a mogul, I don't necessarily want you directing the movies anymore. Then. It's a different sensibility and it's a different Absolutely. purpose for making the movie. Because the thing about Pixar is those early movies, they were doing, they were not just pushing, you know, the technology, which, I mean, if you look at Toy Story yeah. and then you look at Wally or even look at Toy Story and Toy Story 2, there are jumps in what they were able to do and the stories they were able to tell. But they're pushing how you tell a family story. They're they're taking things that we normally think have to be part of the story, like, you know, wisecracking sidekicks or dialogue or things like that. Yeah. And they're trying to find a new way. And then, yeah, I think Cars 2 was the first one I saw where I'm like, this feels like a DreamWorks movie. Or even where it felt like a, a Blue Sky movie in many ways. <laughs> it, it, that I did not... It's, it's, I, Better than that, and I like. It's not good, but it's better than that. (laughs) Cars has some things I really like. I love the taste of that movie. Really, I do. I love the fact that it's a kids' movie that isn't frantic. It's all about slow. I mean, it's Doc Hollywood, but it's. I I mean, it's. I love the fact that it does slow down and it kind of hits that you know Americana button. Like, oh, just stop, smell the roses. That's I. And it's been a long time since I've seen Cars. But I remember going into Cars 2 and, yeah, but there were things I liked about Cars. And the thing I liked, which was that slow pace, is utterly gone. Oh, yeah. Two. Um, and to be fair, the only thing I remember about Cars 2 is probably one of the better Looney Tunes sequences they ever had, and that's Mater at the Car Wash. That that I remember, and I actually think it was very funny at the time, and I would probably laugh at it again were I to see it now <laughs> in Cars 2. Cars, for me, the original Cars would be... Uh, I, 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 I credit Owen Wilson a great deal for making that film watchable for me. Because mm-hmm. uh, I... I I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the air. I I find Owen Wilson utterly endearing and watchable at any point, with one exception. I find Owen Wilson makes everything better, Marmaduke. Otherwise, <laughs> Owen Wilson makes everything better. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. That's that Southern Texas drawl just works at some fantastic level on on my on my nervous system and it's it's the reason why I enjoy cars as much as I do and it's it, cars looks great cars is I, I cars is easy to dump on because it is the weakest of those first 10 films and it's still better than everything that can, no it's not better than uh, oh it's it's much better than monsters university <laughs> Okay, because yeah, I mean, let's talk. Which about is that, a really wretched movie. That was one of the things that started happening after the sale was in those first ten years. The only sequel they did was Toy Story two, and even yep. that felt special. Like, oh yeah, of course because they did it right. You're and, and it kind of makes sense. The characters are getting older. Andy's getting older. The audience gets older. Go back and tell that. But then I, I remember liking some of the sequels, but 
they evaporate in a way that no other Pixar films do for me. So Monsters University, I saw it. It's awful. I I remember so thinking awful. it did some interesting things at the end, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you what that was. I, I know there was some message that it's okay to fail, which I guess you don't see in a kid movie. But I don't remember <laughs> laughing. I re- see. I remember the subplot, the 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 message being college is for suckers. <laughs> that's that's what yeah. I took from that movie. Not that it's okay to fail. Well, the thing that I remember most about Monsters University, though, is that I did not laugh hardly at all. Which, Monsters, Inc. makes me laugh very hard. I mean, that is actually the Pixar movie my kids go back to the most, is Monsters, Inc. And I love that movie. Like, it wouldn't be in my top five, but I like it a lot. Finding Dory is a movie that just, it it sat there for me the whole movie. I, I I didn't like I didn't hate it I didn't dislike it I probably even gave it a decent review at the time, but I have not thought about that movie since. Like we own it, my son watches it every once in a while, but I, I don't think about that. Why would you watch it if you can watch Nemo? Exactly. That's the question I can't have answered for me. It's like yeah, why? Why would you ever put that on? Um, what do you feel about their kind of? I guess they would be more perceived as their failures, creative failures. Um, even though I. Brave won the Academy Award for Best Animated Film that year. I actually really like Brave. I think Brave's very good. I think Brave is unique. I think Brave stands out <laughs> among the Pixar releases. I think I remember okay. Brave uh, Brave. for a variety of reasons. Uh, call it the female heroine. Call it just her red hair bouncing. It was glorious that, to yes. watch for 90 minutes. Uh, call it a mother-daughter story. For whatever reason, Brave to me... Uh, I like Brave a ton. Okay. I like Brave, but I feel... I, I feel like it's a movie that's almost... It was almost ready to take out the oven at that time. But it doesn't quite hold together for me. I, I, there's a lot that I like, and then the whole subplot with the mom turning the bear, I'm kind of like, what? It doesn't totally work and to the point that I haven't thought about it much, but it's not as bad as The Good Dinosaur. Which, which I never saw. Which is another movie that it's an interesting premise, and it has some gorgeous... Every Pixar movie has gorgeous animation. Yes. And, and that's Good what Dinosaur they do. has some really good animation in it and some interesting ideas. But it's really dark for a Pixar movie. And it just, it feels totally in search of characters. There, there are no characters that just resonate with anyone. And it does feel like another movie where we had the idea, but we never really figured out how to pull it off. And I think Brave and Good Dinosaur both lost their directors. Uh, both of their directors were fired at some point. And it's not a Brad Bird situation where he came in and fixed it. It was, we don't know what to do with this. Yes. But I would rather have that. I would rather have them swing for the fence and say, what if we did some weird movie where a dinosaur... <laughs> and, you know, a dinosaur was... Dinosaurs were the last species on this planet to be the most evolved. And the kid is kind of like his dog. Which is kind of the way they treat him. Yes. And... That's interesting. It missed. It whiffed for me. But I would rather see that. It's an idea. Yeah, I would rather see that than, well, Dory forgot something again. (laughs) And I would would like to bring up, if we're going to talk about the last ten films, the one... I think the one indisputable masterpiece out of the ten, which is it's got to be Inside Out. Inside Out is, is, and the weird thing about Inside Out is, as I watched it, I thought I don't need all of the special stuff. I could have just watched the girl Mm -hmm. go through that without the story of what's going on inside her, because 
the story's so strong and the animation's so good. Yeah. And the visual storytelling is so strong in those sequences. I don't need all that. And that is, I think that for me is the point where I was like, oh. And Pixar will never do that. They will never no. do, they will never do just the straight story. And Especially not now. put something on it that's going to sell it in a in a really easy in an easy way. And I'm like, and now I'm kind of disappointed. Like that was where I was like, oh, that's perfect. And you're never gonna run towards the stuff that would be really difficult. You're not gonna make 90 minutes of the first 10 minutes of up. No. And you could, you could, you, you you're all talented enough to do that. And you have the mark. You could, you you have the power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not gonna be denied. If you would just do it just once, go. It's it's it is. It's the same feeling I have with all of Spielberg's divorce stuff. I'm like, just make your divorce movie. Just confront it head on. Stop burying it. <laughs> do it. I dare you to do it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think had Pixar continued after 2009, and Disney had not purchased, which Disney was always going to purchase it because that's a lot of cash on the table. <laughs> had they been left to be their own little studio that? You know, someone would pick up and distribute their films every once in a while. You might have seen that. I think they may have at some point said, okay, let's see how far we can take this. Let's do something unique and groundbreaking and maybe, maybe it's not the uh, animated emotional epic of, you know, a family, but maybe it is. Or maybe it's just something that we can't even conceive of because we're still in this mindset where in our culture animated films are kid films. And I feel like, the, you know, the handcuff to Disney is, no, these are always going to be kid movies in a certain sense. They're going to be marketed as such. They're going to stick to this formula. Um, can you imagine even if Pixar had just taken the first 10 minutes of Up and there was no movie attached to that and that was their short? <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Because that I love Up, but the first 10 minutes of that movie make the movie for me. And it, it turns into something I like quite a bit after those first ten minutes, but you just play that Gene Kino score, and I like I'm you're done here. Yeah. You're done. Yeah, um, that is funny that you bring that up about Inside Out though, because it, I hadn't thought about this before. But I remember when the movie came out, it was all focus. All the marketing was Amy Poehler, yeah, uh, Lewis Black, Mindy Kaling, and, and when I think about the movie, the scene that comes back for me is that entire family huddling in the hallway. That's what I think of. Oh, okay. That's interesting. For me, it's the, it's the, it's the point where she can't talk. It's the, where she's so upset that uh, she's, she can't speak anymore and she goes catatonic. I'm like, I don't need the background for that works. That's absolutely psychologically right. Just let that play. And I, I want to be real clear. I love all the stuff with the feeling. I'm not saying I wanted that gone from the movie. That all works too. It's mm-hmm. not a problem. It doesn't drag the movie down. It's just, it's, it's just the spoonful of sugar that I would like them to yeah. not include just one time. Just make that slightly more difficult movie. Which, you know, is the other, you're just saying, that's what Wally is. The first hour of Wally is that. It is that, it is that seriously intention. It is not a kid film. It is, doesn't have easy, comfortable things to latch onto. It's really pleasant. It's fun. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it has its joys and pleasures. But it is a film that requires you to pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is all the, all the Pixar films do. I just think Wally does it the most. <laughs> which is, again, why I think it's a fabulous number one choice out of you. I think what we're saying here is Pixar traumatized some kids, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, I mean, and yeah, it's... It, I still will flock to a Pixar movie before any, almost any other animated film. Uh, even when... Because even, even something that doesn't really stick with me as much, like Coco. I remember seeing Coco, and I like Coco. It hasn't really stuck with me the way that a Wally or Up has. But there are moments where my kids might be watching it on Netflix. And I'm like, oh, no, Coco is really beautiful. <laughs> and, there, you know, just looking at that movie is a treat. That, that whole uh, Land of the Dead stuff is so colorful and just beautiful to look at. And, I, I mean, it, it does do some things different. I will confess, Coco got away from me. I've really? still never seen it. And I would like to. It wasn't, it wasn't it's... like, I'm not going to watch this. I think Pixar has also suffered from the fact that everybody else stepped up their game. There's oh, yeah. really good animated films that are being made, even by the Disney studio now without Pixar. Oh, I... Big Hero 6 is infinitely better than almost all of the, the last fifth, the last 10 years of Pixar with Inside Out being the great yeah, exception no, of this course. Big Hero 6 is superb. Um, even non-Disney stuff. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is superb. That's the thing. I feel like had the Disney sale not happened, you would have gotten a Kubo from Pixar. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, that's yeah. what... That's... I assume what Coco would have been a lot like. Yeah. Coco's worth a look. It is on Netflix. Which uh, I believe. I, I would like to. Um, but yeah, oh, Kubo and the Two Strings is really good. I yes. That one quite Yes, it is. Um... Yeah. And yeah. even in the shorts department, they got beat by Feast. If you've never oh, seen Feast, so Feast, Feast was so good, I put it in my top ten of the year it came that. out. I think Feast is unimpeachably great and, and isn't Pixar. And it's like, wow, guys, come on. <laughs> well, even something like uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Have you seen that? Uh-huh. I, I kind of I kind of like that one. I feel like... It doesn't all work, but I feel like they did what I wish Pixar would do with their sequels was find something new. Uh, because they do some interesting stuff with toxic male culture in that movie. Yes. That, that works really well. And Pixar, the thing I dread the most when I see a Pixar sequel is, oh, we're getting the same story again. Which should not happen from Pixar. No. And, and when I get a sequel from them, that's... That's the fear. But hey, I don't want to end this on a bad note. So what I want the listeners to do is I want you to tell us your favorite Pixar movie or moment or character. Short. Which short, absolutely short. Um, actually, Matt Singer at Screen Crush did a good ranking of the top 20 Pixar shorts uh, going back nice. to the early days. And I will link to that in the show notes because it's a great little read. Um, Perry, where can people find you online? You can hear me every Friday morning on WLBY in Ann Arbor on the Lucien Lank Show talking about movies new and old. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. And you can hear me right here with Chris. And we're watching here. We're watching here. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can read my writing about film at michigansportsandentertainment.com. And you can also hear me on another podcast I do, which is Wasting Time, which is also available on Big Heads Media. And we also have a Patreon. If you would like to uh, to support this podcast in any way, uh, we greatly appreciate it. We're putting some bonus features up on there. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, next week. There will be a short little review of Toy Story 4 on there to kind of link up with this. And Perry, I do believe we have a patron that, uh, that you want to thank. Janet Driver, we love you. 
head on over to Patreon. Whatever you can give is great. And, uh, you know, if it's a burden to you, don't give. But uh, if, if you want to help us out, that's great. It kind of defrays the cost of doing this and uh, keeps us going. So we will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode.